This is the Small Mouth Crush Podcast Season 2. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This podcast that will interview some of the top local and regional anglers in North America. Anglers who consistently finish near the top in both largemouth and smallmouth bass fishing tournaments. Travis and his guest will discuss techniques and strategies used to help these anglers stay so consistent and help you become a better angler and gain an edge on your body of water. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson. We got another great guest. So much knowledge that we're finding out with all these local and regional anglers here in season two. If you guys are not familiar with myself, I put a lot of great fishing content out on my YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush, and this is season two of the actual podcast every other week and we're basically sitting down with some top anglers across the country and learning so much whether it be fishing up north whether it be fishing out on the west coast whether it be some of these southern boys and just all around great information that you can take and utilize these tips and techniques to help you catch more fish on your home body of water. But before we get into our next guest, I do want to talk, of course, about The Real Shot. The Real Shot's been a sponsor of the program, and they got some great tackle. If you're interested in taking a look at what The Real Shot has, you head on over to therealshot.com. All kinds of bass tackle, pretty much everything. They're located in Wisconsin, so if, you, uh, if you're if you into walleye fishing, salmon and trout, of course, they got a lot of hunting equipment as well. So if you haven't purchased from The Real Shop before, you can use my code SMALLMOUTHCRUSH15 and you're going to get 15% off your first order. Head on over to The Real Shot and go check them out. Let them know Smallmouth Crush sent you. Let's bring on our next guest. Drew, how are you doing? Hey, man, I'm here, Travis. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Man, you're in the bass boat. I love it. I love it. That's great. Probably want to get your uh, GPS waypoint since you're right there. Is that going to be a problem? No, I've not been real good about making sure I get those... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> deleted or withdrawn before I changed boats. So I think there's a lot of them out there floating around. Probably Has that ever happened to you? You ever sell a boat? That happened to me once. Uh-huh. I, I remembered right before he was going to take possession of the boat, like we were literally in the title company parking lot. And I'm like, uh, hey, buddy, uh, one I got to do one thing real quick. And I had to tell him, I'm like, I, I got to delete these waypoints, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that port is very important before selling, guys. Make, make that note for sure. Hey, listen, before I get into all these questions, you give us a quick little breakdown about yourself, where you're from, some of the home bodies of water, what you're up to when it comes to uh, to fishing, then we can get into it. Man, I know you guys are real blessed with all those North, great northern lakes and smallmouth. I've been watching several of your episodes, and it seems like people typically live pretty close, pretty close to major bodies of water. So I feel the same about myself right here, uh, living in middle Tennessee, just east of Nashville, about 35 minutes. That's uh, a town called Lebanon. Man, the Tennessee River basically just does a circle around this area. All, almost every Tennessee River lake is within two and a half hours from where I live. And in addition to that, we got within within an hour, like Del Hollow Lake, Center Hill Lake, Old Hippie Lake, uh, Percy Priest Lake, Lake Cumberland. It's just, oh, excuse me, Cumberland, uh, uh, Cumberland River, which is not Lake Cumberland in Kentucky. But either way. There's just a, a ton of, of opportunities to fish right here from where I'm from. Uh, I work as a home builder and a real estate investor. I'm married and got uh, two great children, a little boy that's seven years old now and eager to be in the boat with me and to get going. So uh, that's kind of a little background about where I am and, and 
one reason why it's uh, so easy to find myself on a lake at any given day like you guys. That's a lot of options. You you mentioned a lot of great bodies of water, legendary bodies of water, if you will, places where uh, you, a lot of bass tournaments, a lot of events, big time events, uh, you know, come to those areas. But as far as all the choices that you have, name, give me like what's one body of water that's really special to you or that you just you love to fish? Man, I'm going to have to say Kentucky Lake. Uh Kentucky Lake has been good to me. It's such a giant body of water. When I first started competing on that lake, it was overwhelming for, for me. And at, at some point, after a couple of years of maybe more than that, getting my butt whooped in tournaments, I just dialed into a certain section of the lake. So this is this is what I'm going to practice. I'm going to eliminate that area and this area, and I'm going to focus on this. And after a couple of years of doing that, uh, I got dialed in, dialed in, I guess, basically on a stone confidence in a certain 20 mile stretch of the lake it became my favorite so from hmm. from january to, to december i can find a way to get bed on that lake and it seems as though other lakes around here man it's sometimes so hard to be consistent and so hard to show up each and every day and get and get quality fish now i know kentucky lake's been on a you know quote unquote uh downfall on it that 100 did that but man it's still got in my opinion a lot more fish in it than most lakes around here. Hmm. Interesting. I was going to ask you about that because I assume when you learn how to break down that body of water, and first of all, that's some great advice. I think that's great advice for anyone that's that's listening. Taking a body of water that's massive, Kentucky Lake. Uh, I mean, there's a number, any of those bodies of water on the Tennessee River. You can take this up north. You can take it down to Lake Okeechobee. Settle in on a certain area that fits your strengths, I'm assuming, is what you're doing. That's correct, yeah. And, and try to expand and focus on that. And I, I, really, I really think that's some great advice. When you started fishing Kentucky Lake, like how long ago was this? I think it was probably in the late two, like 2008, 9-ish, somewhere in that range, 7, 8. I think I started fishing the BFLs, if I'm not mistaken, like 2003 or four, maybe five. I can't remember now. I think there were several years that our, our division did not go to Kentucky Lake. And then out of nowhere, it started adding Kentucky Lake to the list. And at that time, Travis, I mean, I would only fish the division here around the Music City Division and BFLs. I just didn't really think of traveling a little bit east or west to fish other divisions. I just, just, didn't, I just hadn't clicked to me yet. So it wasn't very long into... Uh, going there that I started uh, again started really liking it and then I started thinking well I just go fish the LBL division and mm -hmm. I think in maybe 2000 I'm gonna say 10 11 somewhere in that na neighborhood I started fishing there well you know when you put a couple days a tournament you know Friday Saturday and, and then you do that five times a year you know you next thing you know you get 10 15 days on the lake and then do that a few years in a row and things start to come together it took me a while I mean a lot of a lot of not doing well before I ever started doing well on that lake but I have found in love with it for sure. You know, it's like Chickamauga is pretty close to my heart as well. I don't get to okay. fish it as much. Again, many not many tournaments have gone there. But when you go to a lake and you can get bit different times of the year and you can catch fish doing multiple techniques throughout the year, it makes it enjoyable. And those two bodies of water stand out to me as far as, I guess I would say, my favorites within a couple hours from me. 
As far as the the ways to catch them on Kentucky Lake and and learning that lake and breaking it down, do you have a particular favorite time of year or a technique that you really enjoy? I, I can pretty much tell you the end of April, the first couple of weeks of May, when the water finally, you know, they do a, a winter drawdown on Kentucky Lake. So as the water, the rain, April rains come in, they start letting the water up. It gets it gets in the bushes there. Man, back when I first was educated on that from some friends of mine, we used to take just like the whole week off and. And just go there and flip bushes, man. When they first pull up, it's it's very fun. Even with the lake not as good as it used to be, mm-hmm. nowhere close. It is still very fun to go flip bushes in that three or four week period of end of April and first uh, of May. Okay, so you got you got three to four weeks that the waters come up and these fish are are in habitat that they normally weren't, I guess, accessible to. That's right. And so now you got a whole bunch of new water to work. I'm assuming it's fairly shallow, right? That is correct. Kentucky Lake okay. is fairly flat once you get off the river channel. It is, yes, sir. Most of the times, we, if you can, you know, be sitting in the boat. If it's a typical like normal summer pool, which is at the, uh, 359 elevation, I guess like 360. Man, everything's got money water level on it. But at that just normal summer pool, you need to be trying to find some water where you can sit and, uh, you know. On your on your transducer, be reading a foot and a half to two and a half feet, but there's still plenty of water where you're flipping in those bushes. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's like the key. I think it's shallow. It's always going to be shallow, pretty much. Yeah. Most bass anglers have heard all about the Asian carp, and w- what's your take on that? I'm curious. Is it that bad, and is it a problem? Is it being fixed? I mean, that's a great question. I've heard it come up here recently. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Cole Floyd, and his dad, Steve Floyd. I think he was on a television show here recently and got, got and talked about that. He and I are kind of on the same page. Uh, the, the Asians have been there for a very long time. They, they were there when the lake was the best it ever was. Hmm. And well before that. Have they multiplied? Absolutely. 100%. I, I think, however, that the big change was this lake was flourishing like crazy. And, and then the grass is all of a sudden out of nowhere went from all over the lake to zero, like just one winter. And I don't know if it was the flooding that occurred that winter or the substantial drawdown that occurred that winter with very extreme low temperatures that killed it, but it, it was dead. And then after that, everybody started talking about the Asians because it was real easy at that point in time with no grass on the lake to scan everything. And it scanned everything. You would just see millions of Asian carp and you would very rarely still find bass. Uh, at that point in time, people started going shallow, which I didn't like as much because they had kind of all been focused on fishing the ledges and, and the, you know, it's, it's Kentucky likes normal for the bars and ledges that they're just known for from all year long. You can catch fish doing that and you still can. But I think when those carp took over those spots, those fish kind of went more to the banks, which made them more uh, sparse and not so uh, concentrated. They put a lot of fishermen on the bank at that point in time, but shallow fishing became dominant. Uh, for several years there and i think it's just now getting a little bit better on fishing what i call fishing out you know fishing out sure yeah well i want to circle yeah. back because you, you you mentioned that fishing fishing the bushes is one of your favorite ways to to fish on kentucky lake talk to me about some of the different techniques that you're using uh when they do get up shallow My, i primarily like to pitch and flip when it's that time and I won't do much else other than that unless there is some uh, stem grass that grows in some areas or just certain little gravel points. I'll pick up a buzz bait possibly 
uh, just like mm -hmm. going in between bushes. But other than a, a top water presentation, this kind of covering water, I'm primarily going to be pitching, flipping up some sort of a plastic in those bushes. Okay. And you might have Lyra's Travis and not catch anything. Then you can get to one stretch where they're pulled up and then I mean, one pocket, one little stretch of bushes. And there you go. You got your bag. It's real fun. <laughs> it's really enjoyable. When you, I, think, I think Andy Morgan would really appreciate it. <laughs> when you find these areas uh, that the fish are holding, is this something that you're like, okay, we found them. It took most of the day, but here's a big group of them. Can you count on those fish hanging around for a few days once you locate them? Or is this a game where they're there one day and gone the next? I think when you, once you've caught them, they're, they're pretty much, you've caught, you've caught them and taken them off. Yeah, I don't think that there's, they do move up and down, but I haven't seen it so much that you can catch a, uh, you know, four, five, seven fish out of one, by one pocket and then be able to come back the next day and still catch that many, or, you know, especially the good ones. Mm. Especially, you know, okay. moving up the I think once you catch them, you caught them off that particular spot. I've, I've never fished Kentucky Lake that time of year, uh, but how you're describing, I'm, I'm just imagining there's a lot of a lot of structure, a lot of places to flip and pitch. You're going along with the, with the, with some type of plastic. What what's your what's your main plastic that you're using? Man, I I got really keyed on the tube crawl about probably ten years ago. Uh, love the tube style bait. That's how it kind of originated. Okay. As you know, and, and you guys have talked about it a lot, that, that it's just an all-time fish catching machine, the tube is. And rigging that with a, uh, a three-eighths or half-ounce weight and pitching it in heavy cover, it, 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 should, it's, it probably glides and slides better than any bait that I'm aware of. It, it gets in spots, and when it gets in it, you can kind of pop it, and it, you, know how, you know how it does its natural mm -hmm. uh, glide. And, and uh I get really sold on that, but I was having a hard time getting a real good hookup ratio with the tube sometimes. And and also keeping my hook, skin hooked without getting hung. So when I found the tube crawl, it has those little ribs, and, and like a beaver or something. And I, I think those ribs uh, help keep that, uh, that point of your hook um, covered, yet very able to come out easily into the fish, you know, when you set the hook but yet keeps it covered so you can go in the thickest stuff and pull it out of the thickest stuff. And I love jig fishing. I love flipping the jig. And, but when it comes to coming in and out of a thick target, in my opinion, it is not the best or close that using a plastic of some sort is, is better. So the beaver style baits are hard to beat a lot of times, but uh, the tube crawl to me has been just my confidence bait. And I know a lot of the guys that's been on the show talk about, they're confidence bait, and it's very important. And I think once you have a confidence bait on, Travis, and I bet you can agree, it's almost like it runs from the, the reel through your hands to the reel, right out the line, right down to the yeah. bait. It's bite, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's just what that's what that bait is for me. So from 55 degrees on up to 95 degrees, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pitching, flipping the tube rock. Okay, so I gotta I gotta talk to you a little bit more about that because that's really interesting. Some great tips. Now you you brought it up. One of the reasons why. I've struggled in the past. I know a lot of anglers that, that try to fish a tube, you know, a standard style tube is how to rig it properly, how to hook it, getting the, you know, there's different size tubes out there. And of course, matching it up with the perfect hook is sometimes hard, especially when you're flipping and pitching heavy cover, because you got all kinds of stuff you're getting your tube into, uh, dealing with, with, with the branches, with the bushes, with, with whatever you're flipping having to straighten that out and constantly work that tube to try to make it look and 
act natural is important. But before we even get into that, so the, the tube craw, is that what you're referring to? Is that, fill us in, is that a, a brand or is that actually a description base of some tubes that are on the market? Uh, how would you describe that that tube craw? Is there a particular brand or is that the brand? Yeah, I'm just a grab, little... grab, grab my rod real quick. Oh, sweet. All right, so I think the OG of the crawl tube slash tube crawl, I'm not sure what really what was the okay. proper or was Lake Fork, I think was the originality yep. on that thing. Uh, whenever they lost their patent, apparently Big Bite Baits must have got that or started producing it. And we can see there. You try to yeah. Get it. How's that look? Well, yeah, you see it? Yep. All right. So, so I, that's the I, big bite. That's big bite baits brand. It is, yes, sir. Hook that we've dialed in on using again. I'm gonna try to can't really quite see here. Is a uh, the KBD Mustad, and it's got this little. We'll try to pull it down. It's got that little keeper up there on it. Yep. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can do that or not. So I used to with that regular tube before I found this keeper. Even with that regular tube now, as big as the head is on a regular tube. And sometimes we'll pull down over the back of the hook when you set the hook and it fills the gap, right? I'm sure you've had that happen fishing plastics. So that, that little keeper up there when you set the hook allows that head to stay up and, and exposes that hook. And I do flare that hook out a little bit to make it lay mm -hmm. straight, straight with the with the ribs, so that when you do skin hook it, it's basically just in a straight line. I mean perfectly straight line. It is, and yeah. Something that I've really used to to, uh, I guess, exaggerate the glide of a tube. This tube uh -huh. crawl doesn't quite have that natural glide like the regular tube does. Sure. Uh, this is a flatter style weight. It's called the creature weight. Jinko uh, fishing is where I get that from. It's actually something I had part of in producing a while back. Uh, but that weight has big red eyes on it. This one's all busted up from using it for a long time, but it's got big red eyes and it's somewhat flat, Travis, and uh, I, I can sometimes, you know, as it's, I'm swimming it back to me, uh, pop it a couple times and kill it. And I watch that thing glide six or seven inches. Like, it'll, like it'll, it'll make you almost want to set the hook sometimes like you think a fish has gotten it, right? It's pretty cool, man, how that little bait comes together whenever you put it in cover, too. It's, it's really, really easy in and out. It's got a good hookup ratio. Not as good as a jig. I mean, a jig's going to hook up probably better. Any, any plastic bait is going to have a percentage of loss because you don't know how they grab the the plastic and the hook whenever they actually grab it. You don't know which way that hook's facing. Mm -hmm. You just set the hook as hard as you can and hope that you stick it. But I think as far as getting in and out of cover, as far as having action while you're in cover, and then once you're swimming it back out to the boat past the cover, I think you can't beat that right there. I mean, a beaver's good too, but beaver seems to me, it seems to twist my line a little more than the tube does as I'm swimming it back but or how uh, about the fact that everybody's throwing a beaver this is unique right. man. i'm, I'm learning something right here yeah this is a big deal yeah it is that uh, that beaver style bait there's a, uh, a variety of those brands that are, are very good but it mm -hmm. is a lot of people fishing it of course it's very productive but this is a little bit bigger profile and um i've had co-anglers at some point saying man that's a that's a gaudy that's a gaudy bait you're fishing and I thought, man, you hunt for five fish and they eat a lot bigger stuff than this, I promise you. So I, yeah. I think we're going to be good. So fishing something a little bit thicker and bigger, bigger profile, trying to catch, you know, heavier fish during that days, I think helps sometimes. 
is is that weight uh was that lead or tungsten I it is lead. yeah it's lead i think it would be amazing to have it in tungsten i think however it would shrink the head size to get the, the same weight obviously and i don't think you want the head size any smaller than it is yeah i think the head size like it just continues the plastic somewhat in that same size of the plastic and then it uh it also allows it that flatness to, to glide. So mm-hmm. if, if that was smaller, and I also don't think it would create any extra action to the bait. It just wouldn't have enough there to uh, enough, I guess you would say mass to push water to create a glide. Plus it, it has eyes, dude. Could be wrong. And I could be wrong. We haven't even experimented with that. I just kind of thought to myself that it makes sense to not even to try it because I think we've got it dialed in on where it is. Yeah, well, the eyes alone is intriguing. The eyes are really cool. Yeah, and a little bit clearer water. I'm, I'm, I really like throwing or pitching that bait over behind something, right? And you kind of yo-yo it behind, you know, over a limb or uh, over a laydown, uh, behind a root ball. And then and when you pick it up and bring it over it, you can watch for whatever clarity you have there, what that bait does. Mm-hmm. And, and when that sun hits those eyes, I mean, it really – it throws a little flash, and the majority of the times when you bring that bait over something to watch it fall, it does not fall straight down, ever. It almost always will take a direction, which mm-hmm. I think is more lifelike and more realistic in the in the water column. And I think it creates more bites, and personally. So that KVD hook, what size was that? Four or five? It is four, yeah. I do the four, four and the five, primarily the four, and then twist it out a little bit. The five... Um, I've experimented with that. Man, I've got this theory about years, right? So it seems like when you trend one direction in a year, you do well. The next year, you might not. So I had one year that I, I went with the five, and it was like, all right, the five's the deal. I'm not hardly losing mm-hmm. anything. Well, the very next year, I stick with the five, and I lose everything I still took on. So <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm just kind of – I think the fish is a little better with the four, a little bit less hangy. Uh, so I'm sticking with the four. Um I can't, I can't quite figure out exactly what I like the best, and I'm, I try it back and forth. I would like to say I had good, like I said, good run with one being better than the other, but uh, years seem so trendy to me. I think it, if, if, if the good Lord wants you to lose that fish, you're going to lose it. It ain't got mm-hmm. nothing to do with that. Hook. Now, as far as the weight itself, you mentioned three-eighths, half-ounce. Are those the two sizes it comes in, or is there a variety of sizes? I think it's quarter, three-eighths. Uh, a half and five eighths. Okay. Uh, five eighths also use I use often, especially when the water gets a little bit higher in the cover, where you're you're actually flip, flipping into something that might be deeper than two or three feet. So you want a faster fall in through it. Uh, then I use the five eighths at that point. I think, I think you ought to check it out. It's uh, it's really helped my confidence level and and flipping and also flipping right behind somebody doing the same thing. Uh, two things that go with that. I think I got something different that they don't have. And I feel like I can put the bait, hopefully, in places they can't, or, or at least attempt to. Is that weight pegged or unpegged? I, I will always peg it. Yes, sir, Travis. Okay. Just using the, the bobber stopper method. I used the, the old school toothpick method for a long time, but then uh, sure. once I got told on the bobber stoppers and, and confidence that the fish would not see that bobber stopper, then uh, yeah, I, I've used that ever since. Your ratio and, and uh, medium heavy, heavy? What type of rod do you like to use with that setup? 
So, great question, man. I have attempted to use the higher speed gear ratios. I know that a lot of pros have, and they think that, uh, you know, that two or three cranks with the reel before you set the hook is why you need it. A lot of times, okay. those fish will get it and they're coming to you, so you need to be able to crank line fast before setting the hook. In my opinion, whenever you get past the cover and you're actually just fishing the bait, the bait back to the boat, the anything past the 6.8 is too fast. And it feels a little too draggy with 25 pound line. A little too, like it just feels like I'm almost dragging something. And I feel like you don't get as many bites fishing it back. So this tube crawl, I'll catch a lot of my fish after I've left the cover and then kind of just dancing it back to the boat, you know, underneath the water. And mm. I think that 6 8, because you already got a long rod. You know, I'm fishing a 7 11. So you already got a long rod and so it takes up a lot of line. Uh, I don't think that you need the high speed reel, in my opinion. Okay. Like the, I like the six eight in my opinion. In my opinion, the six eight is where I, is what is the best. Now you mentioned something that was interesting. Twenty five pound floral. It is fluorocarbon, yes sir. Yeah. Okay. I've experimented with the thirty. Thirty um, is okay. It, it, it just you can't quite get as much line on the spool, especially if you. I do a. Um, I guess you would call like a, a little filler line on the spool before I tie my my main line on there just to make the line go farther. And uh, when he, you know, even with flipping sometimes, if there's a target a full cast away, I don't want to pull my boat all the way over there to it. I'll make a cast to that target and and, and fish it just as I'm moving quickly along the whatever I'm fishing there. So I want to be able to make a long cast within 30. You just can't quite make a long cast, but there's not enough line on the spool. So I like that 25. And as long as it can take the heat of the hook set, and I finally have found they're a friend of mine, Adam Widener, which is somebody you might want to reach out to about getting on the show. He's the best, uh, I guess he's the best all time in reference to local anglers, hmm. uh, based off statistics anyway. Yeah. And um, he, he turned me on to the, the right line that, that, that can take the swing and take take the swing while the bait's, the line's actually over a target, you know, over a limb, behind a dock, and be able to swing like you need to to get the hook set and not break the line. I have broke off of more fish than you can imagine Travis setting the hook. And uh, I hope that hope those days are gone finally. Lord willing. I hope. So what what's the what's the secret? The trialing go box. Trialing twenty-five. No, they nice. made it. I've been fishing that same trialing that go I guess they call it the go label with the go box. I've been fishing that same trialing on my football jigs and um, Texas rig rods, cranking rods, I mean pretty much for everything, four oh. But had never known that they made 25 in it. And when he finally mm. told me, I had to order it. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's been a game changer for me so far. We covered a lot in a short period of time. Time's flying by. Guys, we're going to take a quick break, and then I want to talk to Drew. What makes a good tur- tournament angler? I want to really find out what, what gets you going when it comes to the tournament scene. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Small Mouth Crush Podcast. Don't rush out to the water just yet. We'll be right back after this break. You know, I really enjoy helping people become better anglers. And you can head on over to smallmouthcrush.com. And I'm offering a one-on-one meeting. Basically, it's an hour meeting over the computer. where We'll break down and talk about anything and everything fishing related. Whether you want a new set of eyes on a body of water that you fish on a regular basis or perhaps plan for an upcoming tournament, techniques, tips, whatever it may be. I've had a lot of fun 
working with anglers over the last year or two with this project, Smallmouth Crush one-on-one. If you're interested, sign up. And let's schedule something together. All right, now you made me spend a bunch more money. Like every episode we have, I'm going to get those weights. I'm going to try it. This uh, this craw tube is very intriguing because I am a fan of a tube, and it's kind of like a uh, a cross between a creature and a tube, and it it has its its own little deal that you sold me, bro. If it works for you, it'll work for me, right? Oh, so there's been there's been several people or in my in my uh, my fishing buddy circle, I suppose, that have have, have, have also has good success. I mean, you know, uh, another guy named Daniel Johnson, he's my team partner. He's, he's his stats right now are phenomenal, and, and no longer he's been fishing, and it's uh, it's helped him do well, you know, in some tournaments. Uh, the Adam Widener is also, I think, he won that Toyota Series flipping that this past year in Del Hollow. So it's uh, it's an impressive bait, man. But we've got to talk about the drop shot, right? So just your your smallmouth crush. I mean, we're talking heavy line, big stuff. I love that, right? But drop shot yes. fishing, it's uh, its something that I, I've got to learn about. At this point in time, I think 15 to 17 years in the tournament fishing, I have never tied on a drop shot. Come on. Come on with that now. So I'll just, I've been watching. It seems to be a consensus that I am missing the boat, not fishing the drop shot. I think sometimes, I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't like talking about myself on these podcasts, but I will share a quick story that might help you just to kind of get you a little more motivated to put a drop shot on. And it actually uh, happened on Kentucky Lake. It was it was a fall championship tournament a number of years ago was while the lake was was not fishing up to its prime. And everyone kept saying, get on the shallow bars and throw a top water or look for schooling fish. And, and, and I tried, you know, I bought the shower blows and did all that stuff. And, and I, I could not, I caught a few nice fish, but it wasn't like something I was consistent with. I only had four or five days of practice. So I fell back on what I'm comfortable with. I looked for something on that lake that reminded me of you know, something I would find up in the Northern part of the country and it was man-made structure. And I put a drop shot on with a worm and I was able to at least stay in contention for that event using the drop shot and fishing my strength. So I know for a fact, it'll, it'll definitely work. It's definitely different. Were you catching largemouth? Yeah. Yep. All largemouth. Yep. Largemouth. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely get motivated. I mean, there ain't, there's not that much man-made structure on the lake, so I can dial it in just in a couple of days, probably. Yeah. It, it's yeah, it was it's very obvious stuff, but I was consistent fishing it, and uh, I was able to kind of protect the area and bounce around to a couple other man-made deals in the same area, and I was able to uh, at least squeeze by and, and survive. I, I probably had a and I shouldn't say this. I did upgrade a couple fish on a shower blow later in the day, but that drop shot at least got me the confidence right away. Get a nice limit, and and it worked out. But but speaking the tournaments and and confidence and whatnot, you know, you do well pretty much a lot of the different bodies of water that you fish. What is the key to staying consistent out there? Because there's so many great anglers. You named a few as well that you probably compete against on a regular basis you know, what's some advice as far as trying to stay consistent and competitive, especially for guys that are at this level, there could be, I mean, you could have 20, 30 top sticks you're competing against every weekend. 
and trying to come out on top is is the key. All right, Travis. Man, I think here's the deal. In my opinion, again, everybody's got their own with that. I, I think the good Lord sometimes gives it to people, and they got it. And I ain't saying that I got it, but there is definitely something that makes me wake up and, and just be excited about going fishing. And that could happen every day of the whole year. And when I get there, there's something, I guess you can call it instinctual, or you can call it lead, that tells me what I need to be doing. Now, I'm going to say that non-electronically anyway, just instinct of putting the boat on the water and saying, okay, here's, here's where we are in reference to water temperature, water clarity, wind, weather conditions, spawn, time of the year, whatever you want to call it. And being able just to say, I'm going to catch fish this way. And if that necessarily doesn't work, you've just eliminated that part of the puzzle and you try something else. And within, I'm going to say, hopefully, the first half of the day, anyway, you've put together something that can finish the day on to catch fish. I put a lot of time into fishing prior to marriage and children and to growing businesses. Uh, Spending a lot of time with buddies just going just because we had time. And I still, I still, I guess basically live off that knowledge of those days in my 20s through my 30s and in my 40s. Whereas now, a lot of tournaments, I don't even go to practice at all. And I want to show mm. up a bit. And I'll really? just show up on Saturday. And, and b- before, hopefully, like I said, by midday, I have either eliminated or dialed in on something because of all those times that I've been fishing. Now, 17 years of also, I mean, working on 17 years of experience, I guess, 15 or 17 years of single man fishing where I have that data to pull from as well as the data of just going when I had time during the week in those early years. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, thinking about it, a lot of times on Fridays I have to work and, and cannot afford missing that dry, that dry day to get, get some work done or the, the meetings that I have scheduled in order to go put my time in. So I, I trust my instincts. I mean, to answer your question, uh, I think it's God-given instincts. I, I, can't, I can't go do that with many other sports that are out there <laughs> whatsoever. But why can't I with this one? Why, I mean, you can't answer that question. I can't answer that question. But this is the one I feel like I have natural intuition and natural instinct that I can almost give my, my you know, my father in heaven the credit for because I didn't make myself like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I can I can thank my father Danny Bobbins for introducing me to fishing, but then that's that's creek fishing, that's pond fishing, that's taking me a few tournaments here and there when I was younger, but and that's not what made me have that instinct. That's not what made me have this passion, this deep love for for being out there and trying to to wrestle one of these guys in the boat. Uh, mm. I think that comes from him. And so, I guess, again, to answer your question, I think it's uh, something that was given to me, and I can go to any lake on the country and have confidence. I can pick up whatever bait that I have confidence in and figure out how to catch a fish from one foot to 35 feet. I'm confident at all levels uh, of, of the water, although I prefer fishing shallow. So to give advice to anybody out there, I would have them question themselves. What 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 is – their intuition, what's their natural confidence, what's their natural talent this thing for them. And it could be electronics, it could be reading grass, it could be finesse fishing, it could be drop shot and you know, deep water mm-hmm. fish and sight fishing, top water fishing. I mean, there's always I think everybody's gonna have a strength. And Travis, you know, if, if God didn't make us that way, we would all be doing the same thing on every day on the lake, right? We have to have our own strength. We have to have our own 
want tos and likes and passions about techniques and ways to fish in order to spread it around. Um, and I think that one, one can evaluate themselves, figure out where that confidence is the most, go to any given body of water and try to make that body of water fit to what they want to do, at least for a couple of days or a day of practicing before you throw in the towel and be like, all right, I've got to go to plan B, C, D, or E or whatever to try to figure something out. But everybody in the water I go to, I, I'm going to try to fish to my strength and my confidence. No matter where it is and no matter what I've seen on YouTube or what I've read, I'm going to try to do what I feel like has been given to me at the highest level. Great advice. You know, looking back at some of the local and regional anglers that we've had on the show, and you ask them this, some of these top guys, they really go back to instincts, of course, but your strengths and not listening to doc, doc talk, not trying to chase techniques that you might not be familiar with. I think it's really important to what you just said is really fish your strengths. You mentioned the key phrase right there. Any lake in the country, you're going to bring what you have confidence into and try to make that work. Is that what I'm hearing? That, that's exactly right. Now, to that, right, so I went to Harris Chain, went to Florida for the first time last year to fish the open. I thought, man, I'm going, man, you can catch them flipping. I am going down there with this two crawl right. I am going to catch their butts. They've never seen it. I know you're supposed to fish gene bug or purples or whatever. If I'm going to fish the green pumpkin and I'm just going, no. Nah. All right. Three days into me force feeding them on every one of those little bodies of water down there. I got like two bites on that thing before I had to pick up something bug and something that was a worm in order to catch fish. Right. So yeah, yeah. You, you can't be stubborn with what I'm saying. You know, you can't, but you, you need, I think at least need to try it. So I was able to still do my confidence in reference to pitching and flipping, but I had to change the bait selection in order to catch mm -hmm. fish. I had to change my weight. I had to do the things that are of Florida. Right. You know, and, I really felt like that that's just what everybody does. That's what you read about. And, that's, and they're surely these fish will still eat green pumpkin as much as they'll eat gene bug. And <laughs> unless you somebody can prove me wrong, that's not the case there on Harris Chain. I, I guess there has to be some level of humility with that, right? There has to be some level of I'm willing to do whatever it needs to do to catch a fish, mm -hmm. although I want to try to catch it with my strength. Most of the, I can look back at most of the wins and knowing the show is coming, I had to think about them a little bit. Most of the wins I think I come up with was confidence and technique, but really finding the right area that had the fish in it. I think that that was the key. Whether it was the hitting the right pocket that day, uh, knowing the right area from past year experience, getting away from people by running way, way up the lake or way back in the creek. I can say that area, area, finding the right area is probably more important than any technique out there in reference to winning tournaments. Mm. And that's not, and that's not easy to do, man. Great information. I know. I took a bunch of notes here and shortly after this, I'm going to uh, be hitting the online stores. That's the benefit of, of, of hosting the show. I get all the uh, secrets before the general public. Cause we never know when these are going to be released. So I get to buy up and hoard everything myself before the general public. But I do appreciate you sharing these techniques and these tips. I really think it's going to help some people catch more fish and I'm excited to, uh, to give it a try this year. Before we let you go, I, I always ask our guests these two questions. I do want to know, and I kind of have an idea what your answer is going to be, but if you had one bait to use the rest of the season to catch fish, 
Maybe you're going to surprise me with this. I don't know. But what what would that bait be? I mean, 100%. The Max Sant flatworm will drop shot, right? <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that has been a common uh that has been a yeah. common theme. Now man, uh man, I'm I am gonna surprise you. Okay. You said year right? Like year round, best one bait, right? Correct. Yep. I, I'm gonna say a jig, because you can fish it from thirty five degree water to ninety five degree water. You can you can fish it from six inches of water to thirty feet of water. So it's you know fifty feet, whatever. The jig is the most versatile bait that's out there in reference to catching bass. Uh, there's ap applications for that plastic right there, and I do love, want to pitch that the majority of the times. But as far as a, a year-round bait, I'm going to go with the jig. Yep. Now, there's a lot of different styles of jigs. Let's narrow it down. Are we a flipping jig, a football jig, a swimming jig? Do you have a oh, particular? Man, you pick one. I got to pick one. I got to pick one, you right? You got to pick one, and I want the exact color. Oh, man. Because I don't mind dragging a football jig, and I also don't mind pitching it on rock. Now, there's not great to pitch around wood for sure, but I'm gonna say a football jig and half ounce uh, green pumpkin with a little bit of orange, and a a uh, probably a green pumpkin. Uh, what's it called? A uh, pro chunk junior zoom pro chunk junior. I think that's what it is. I call it a mule ear. But that's slang for what it's actually called. Hmm. I think it's the Pro Chunk Junior by Zoom. Just okay. Fucking pro here, here we go. Yeah, yeah. There, there he is, right there. There it is. That is nice. I got a little bit of a little tip that someone told me one time to get a little bit more weight and to keep your trailer from sliding up is to bite a little piece of worm off or a little piece of Cinco and running up your hook about an inch on that football jig. Yeah. It has a little bit. Adds a little bit more weight to it without actually uh, creating weight on the head, and then uh, keeps that trailer from sliding back up the hook too much. Sometimes they'll do that. Wow! Good little tip, my Tommy. I bet you got a yeah. lot of little tips, man. I wish we uh, we could probably go on for hours and hours. We are getting close to the end. Uh, I do got to ask you, what's your personal best? Uh, Large mouth, small mouth, spotted bass. Uh, you know, I know you fish all over the country. Give me a little story behind it. Man, as, as, as long as I've been fishing, and, and I get asked this occasionally by co-anglers, I can only say a, an eight an eight pound four ounce bass is my largest bass. Now I have caught three that weighed around eight four. Uh, one was on Sam Rayburn back when I was just started fishing in my early twenties on a uh, on a three quarter ounce. Uh, I think it was just a rattle trap. Uh, I actually weighed that one. It weighed eight four. Then I caught one on Gunnersville on a frog, practicing for a regional back a long time ago too. It was probably in my twenties then as well. And uh, it was also eight four. And then I caught one here on my home lake, which is old Hickory Lake, uh with on a lipless uh rattle trap in March one year that was eight four. So that was not mm. uh, none of those fish were in tournaments. They're all the days before the tournaments. Right. 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 All three of them. But uh so yeah that's my three biggest and they're all all weighed eight four. A small mouth I haven't ever weighed my biggest small mouth but I've caught two around that six pound range. Nice. I've weighed yeah. a couple in the upper upper fives. What uh, bodies of water uh, were those? That's Dale. Uh, on Dale Hollow Lake, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was Dale awesome. Hollow. Though. And I think that I have had uh, two spotted bass over four pounds, and they're both on uh, Center Hill Lake, which is here in Middle Tennessee. 
but does have good populations of uh, largemouth, smallmouth, and spotted bass. Hey, hey, it is a smallmouth crush, right, Travis? So I will throw you an invite to come down here and teach me on Del Hollow Lake, the famous Del Hollow Lake, world-renowned for the largest smallmouth bass recorded. Uh, mm-hmm. I have heard buddies say that they have seen fish nearly that big uh, on that lake before. We, we used to go up there and fish with uh, Creek Chub or Shiners in the winter months, just in between tournament seasons, just to have fun. And the lake is chock full of big smallmouth. And I think that uh, uh, when we go there now for tournaments, you got to focus on largemouth. So I don't even really give them much respect anymore because there's a slot limit. And uh, the majority of them are basically heartbreakers, right? You catch a four or five pound smallmouth and you got to throw it back. Yeah. Uh, it's very challenging. But for a fun day of fishing, if you find yourself down this way, uh, be more glad to, uh, to have you along, man, jump in the boat with me and, Let's see if we can catch them on that drop shot. What do you say? Uh, hey, I think we both can teach each other something for sure. Uh, seriously, Drew, I really appreciate you coming on the show. How can people keep up with you? You got a little presence on social media, and I also want to you know, give a shout-out to anyone that helps support you as far as uh, fishing and fishing tournaments. Travis, thanks for the opportunity, man. I don't, I, mean, I, I do Facebook a little bit, but it's primarily just looking at marketplace, looking for farm equipment or hunting equipment or fishing equipment. But uh, – Man, not, not not anybody in the sponsorship world, uh, but I, I mean, my, my wife Katie and my kids Wes and Macy, uh, they're they're amazing support. They they've never at any point in time said, "Oh, Daddy, I don't want you to go." They always they're always there with me, and and uh, I basically allow them to be a part of it. So it's a family venture more than it is a personal venture. I obviously want to thank my mom and dad for uh, raising me uh, with uh, knowing Jesus Christ and introducing me to the outdoors, which is majority of who I am is uh, a person that's passionate about the outdoors, whether it's hunting, fishing, or hiking, hiking, camping, floating the river, you name it, man. I want to be outside every day doing something. Today, All right. well, I'm not sure if we're going to talk today, but uh, we're going to be in here talking to Travis for sounds like a couple hours. I don't want to shut up, don't look like. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're always welcome back. We certainly no dude i love it i love it in fact um i think we'll have to get you back at some point in the future you know what we do live shows as well every monday night so uh i think you might be a a fun fun guest i like your personality i'm 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 digging the vibe so you're definitely welcome back anytime man that's cool deal travis i appreciate you man good job what you're doing out there and again i'm honored to be a part of the show and be invited and uh you've got some real talent what you're doing man appreciate it All right. Thank you. And as always, guys, until next time, we'll see you on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at smallmouthcrush. Also, the YouTube channel, smallmouthcrush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.